0: 2,000, over 2, 4,000 years of biblical history, 4,000 years of biblical history in five minutes. Come on, that was pretty amazing. What I'd like to say around here this morning, Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Any of the languages here we speak this morning? It's, it's Christmas in September. Uh, we finished our Old Testament portion in the story in chapter 21, and it was the prophet Malachi. Malachi had spoke some very powerful words about the future for the people of Israel. He called them back, called them back to true worship of God. But there was a period of silence for four hundred years from the time of Malachi till the birth of our Savior Jesus. You know, this season, this time of year. As a matter of fact, you've got about two days left and the Christmas trees are rolling out at Walmart. You know that? You're gonna walk through the malls on October first, and you're gonna hear it, and everywhere you go and and, 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 you know, what I love about Christmas, it really is, I'm not going to lie to you, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love the anticipation of the, the big day, you know. As a matter of fact, you know, Christmas is about Jesus, isn't it? Our world loves to celebrate the birth of Jesus. They just do. As a matter of fact, the whole world celebrates the birth of Jesus. The J- Japanese people are basically a, a, a pagan culture. They don't worship a deity like we have, like we worship a singular monotheistic God. They, they worship multiple gods. Religion is not a, a core p- part of their fabric. The family tradition is a core part of their family, uh, other, other fabric. But religion or a belief in a supreme God is not part of their fabric. But if you were to go to J- Japan December 25th, people all over the country would be celebrating Christmas. All over the world, people celebrate Christmas because there's something about that little baby. You know that? That little baby this in a manger, silent night, holy night. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Those images, the smells, the sounds, the clean, stable, all those wonderful things that we envision. The little children's plays with the four- and five-year-olds come stumbling across the stage, and Mary forgets her lines, and she picks up and, and throws baby Jesus across the room. I mean, you know, those kinds of images stick in our mind when we think of Christmas. Yeah, I I love Christmas. I love the anticipation of leading up to Christmas. I remember when uh, when Laura and I had been married for just a couple of years, and, and, and we really wanted to have our first child. Laura really wanted to have the... I, I like being part of making the first child. She really wanted to have the first child. Uh, and I, I remember we were hanging out with some friends. We had some great friends at the church that we went to, and, and we were young adult pastors, or uh, college and career, we called it back then, or young adult pastors. And And uh, we had a group of friends that we just hung out with all the time. Uh, And Laura had had become pregnant, and and there was that anticipation. You know, when you have your first child, I mean, you're just, I I mean, everything. You're getting the room ready. You're buying the crib. You know, they do the sonograms, and you figure out the birth of your child. Some people don't like to know. We wanted to know so that we could buy the right clothes and get all the things ready for our son that was going to be born. And there was a real anticipation. There was a real, real anticipation. Anticipation to that day as a matter of fact. I mean we couldn't wait for that day Is that kind of like Christmas remember when you're a little kid you can't wait for Christmas You can't wait to open the presents and then when you open the presents It's what it's on to the next thing and you got to wait a whole nother year this Anticipation it doesn't even start though till you know, maybe like as a kid It probably starts as soon as you open all the presents like when does Christmas happen again, but but the fact is that anticipation Of having the child is a great thing. But you know, the the children of Israel, they had an anticipation. They had an anticipation that there was going to be a Messiah. There was going to be this Savior that would come and deliver them. I know we're backtracking. you just Fortunately, we were able to have that video to see kind of the trek of the children of Israel. How God took them from the beginning. God made a promise to this man by the name of Abram. God promised them. That he would bless them and make them a blessing to all the nations of the earth. But the fact is, they didn't feel that way. They'd been taken into captivity. They'd been beaten down. They were broken. They were busted. Life wasn't working out the way that they thought they should. But they always had a word of encouragement. God always had a man who would speak the truth to them. Malachi, this last prophet of Israel, speaks these words. That in the great day, the day before the great one comes... In that day, the heart of the fathers will turn to the children, and the heart of the children will turn to the fathers. There was a word that came forward. It was a word from God. It was a word from God. They had an anticipation. Uh, But I would propose to you that the actual birth of the king was greater, was a greater thing than the anticipation of the king coming. When my son Austin came out of the womb, I remember the night before, my wife, she was wanting to get that child out. She was uh, greatly endowed with child, and she was ready for that boy to come on out. And I remember we had finished church on a Sunday evening, and, and so we decided that with our friends that we were going to go to every uh, uh, a fast food place that we could go to. We actually started with Mexican. We went to a Mexican restaurant, and then we left the Mexican restaurant because she really likes McDonald's French fries. We went to McDonald's to get French fries, and then we had dessert at Dairy Queen because we liked those chocolate dip cones. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever have those vanilla ice cream chocolate dip cones at Dairy Queen? They're just absolutely the best. And I remember, and, and that was it. That, that final Dairy Queen cone must have been the ticket because soon after that, I was rushing Laura to the hospital to have baby Austin. You know, the anticipation of Austin was wonderful, but the fact is the real thing, our son was way greater. The point of our story today, there was a great anticipation among the Jewish people. But the point today, I propose to you that the real thing, the real thing was better than the weight. You have your Bibles this morning. I want to read to you the story. We're going to read the Christmas story We're going to take a little different bent on it today, but if you have your Bibles, you can stand with me. And I want you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse number 1. Are you with me this morning? We're in the story. Back to the story. I, I know we're having a hard time adjusting. We were in four weeks on generosity, but we're back to the story, and we're back really to what it's all about. And for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be talking about the point. For the next 10 weeks, all the previous 21 weeks build up to this point about our Savior Jesus. For the rest of this year, we're going to be talking about Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star. Fascinating. Oh, there's so much revelation. There's so much prophetic scriptures that are wrapped into this. We saw whose star? Come on. We saw whose star? We saw his star. And when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse number three. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chiefs, priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him." After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it had stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. My point this morning, my point this morning, the real thing is always better than the wait. The real thing is always better than the wait. You can have a seat at this time. Last Sunday, we introduced a campaign called the REACH campaign. And if you were not here, actually, I need a card. Someone need to hand me a card real quick. If you were not here and received one of these cards, we announced last week that we are starting a campaign here called REACH. Everyone say REACH. Uh, This campaign represents the future and the destiny of City Church. And if you did not get a card, one of these cards last week, could you just lift your hand real quick? Just lift your hand. Is anybody in the room? we got some people over here that didn't get a card. All right. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? This morning, our prayer point, what we're going to pray for, we always have a pastoral prayer time, but this morning, we're going to be praying for our REACH campaign. Last Sunday, we introduced it, and there was just such a tremendous response. I, I forgot to look at the numbers, but they counted how many people did they pray and, and all the different things that we ask you to do. But I want to walk through this with this first service real quick this morning. Our City Church currently runs over 1,000 people every single weekend here at City Church. Between our three Sunday morning services and our Wednesday service, over 1,000 people. Last week, we had 1,137 people in four services that were on this campus. Come on, give God a big hand. We've said it so many times. this, This campus was built in the 1950s, designed for 190 people. And God has been speaking to us as the leadership team and preparing for us for this next step in our journey. There is currently a facility located about seven miles from here that has the potential to see 800 people. We're on three acres. It's on 12 acres. Uh, This campus right now is for sale. And as a church leadership team, we feel the time for us at least to try to purchase this facility is now. And so I'm asking this church family to join with us. Uh, on the back of the card, it says my commitment, and I'm asking for everyone to pray. Everyone at City Church can pray about the future pray about what God has for us because there are so many more people that God wants us to reach in our city. And then I want, I want to challenge you. If someone asks you to do something, involvement, some kind of involvement, helping set up or be part of one of the meetings or whatever takes place in the future, I want to challenge you to say, yes, I want to be part of this campaign reaching more people for christ in our city and the last thing is i'm asking you to to pray about a financial commitment i'm asking you to pray about what kind of financial commitment you would make this morning our pastoral prayer time i'm going to pray i'm going to pray because we are going to be reaching we're going to be challenging we're going to be going for god over the next two years and we believe that god is going to enable us by his grace to be able to move forward and take our next step in him I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for this church body. I want to pray that this campaign really saturates into the heart of this church family, that there are more stories, that there are more people that Jesus wants us to reach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that your, your kindness is with us. And for the story, Lord, your story, Jesus, how you came to earth. Lord, I thank you that you, being this Christ child that was promised generations before you ever came to planet earth, I thank you, Lord, that you are here today to touch our hearts. Lord, for every person in this room, God, I pray that your spirit will envelop them. We thank you for the time of worship. We thank you for your favor that's upon our life. and Lord, I pray for this REACH campaign today. God, that as we seek to take our next step as a church family, I pray your favor. I pray your blessing upon your people. And Jesus, I ask this now in your wonderful name. Amen. And everyone said amen. Come on, say amen i have got to talk a little bit here. Hey, so if you've not filled this out, you can check off one of the boxes. The bottom portion is for you to fill out, to keep. And when the Pastor Glenn receives the offering at the end of the message, that portion is for you. Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. You see, our upper story, our upper story is that God made a promise. And the promise of God is that he would bless his people. God, in the very beginning, when he made man in his image in Genesis 1, God says, I want to bless my people. He created them in his image, and he said, listen, I've given you this ability, this ability to rule, to take dominion, to to live a life that's a life of abundance. A life where there is no shame, a life of no guilt, of no sin, of no brokenness, of no addiction. A life in the garden with God's presence 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But there was a problem something entered into the human race. It was called sin And when adam and eve were tempted in the garden, they fell they fell headlong they chose they weren't just dragged into it They ran after sin and because of that decision sin entered into the whole human race and from that moment From that very moment of time God had a plan The bible says that before the foundations of the world God had a plan And that was to restore his people. Satan came into the garden to destroy, not only to mar, to disfigure, but to literally destroy God's creation. But God had a plan. Hundreds of years later, when this man by the name Abram was born, God saw the faith of this one man. And in Genesis 12, God says to him, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And through your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God's upper story, God's upper plan was that from the beginning of time, God would restore man to a relationship, man and woman. Being the generic of all people, God would restore us back to him. 2,018 years later, God entered humanity. God entered humanity in the flesh. 2,018 years after God made the promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The lower story, Jesus coming and dwelling among us, begins. See, so I, want, I, I want you to hear today very clearly that Jesus is the point of the story. I don't want you to be confused today about what we believe. We believe that Jesus is the point of God, all of God's purposes and plans for all of creation. I read the Washington Post, I read the New York Times, I read the USA Today, I read the LA Times almost on a daily basis. And I can tell you, very few people, (laughs) very few writers, very few thinkers, very few academias in our, our generation today believe that Jesus is the point of the story. I don't want you to be confused about what I believe. I believe today that Jesus is the point of the story. And Jesus came at exactly the right time. In Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own child. Jesus came at the right exact time. Not only did Jesus come at the right exact time, Jesus came and was born at the exact right place. In our story, we read in Matthew, we see that these wise men came to Herod, and when he asked where was he to be born, they said he was to be born in Bethlehem. Do you know how they knew that he was to be born in Bethlehem? They didn't just pull that out of the air. That wasn't just something that was floating out there. As a matter of fact, that had been prophesied by a man by the name of Micah. Micah says these words concerning this one who was to come. Micah says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephraim. Though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient of times. From ancient of times, 600 years before Jesus ever entered on planet earth as God himself, 600 years. Micah prophesied that there would be born this great one, this ruler over all of Israel and all of the earth. He prophesied those very words that he would come from Bethlehem. Well, what's the point? What's the big deal? It's significant because God had the right time. God had the right place. God also had the right person. God had the right person. The Bible says, that, listen, in First John chapter 3, that for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil, the right person. The right person to restore broken men. The right person to heal marriages that have been dissolved. The right person to heal the sick. The right person to forgive men of their sins that keep them ensnared and trapped by Satan himself. I love what the Amplified Version, the way that the Amplified Version speaks of this tra- or this translation. It says, the reason the Son of God was made manifest or visible was to undo, liquidate, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works of... Of the devil. Someone said amen. Amen. Jesus didn't come to destroy mankind. Jesus came to destroy the power of the devil. Jesus isn't against people. Jesus is for people. Uh, It's so easy in our generation to be critical of other people. It's so easy to wonder and try to figure out what other people should be doing right. (laughs) Don't worry about what other people should be doing right. Worry about what you should be doing right. (laughs) I mean, the fact is, Jesus... Jesus came at the right time He came to the right place because jesus was the right person and when you get all three of these things right time Right place and right person lined up. You know what you get you get a win You get victory In a marriage in a relationship you meet the right person at the right place at the right time You know what you get you get a wedding You get the right person. I mean that's how life works You get the right place, and you get the right the right timing, and you get the right person. You get the right job. It's the way life works. You know, you can get the right thing at the wrong time, and you'll never get the right response. You can get the wrong person at the right time, and you still won't get the right response. Jesus was perfect in every way. I love what John Piper says. The spaceship has landed. The doctor has arrived. The general has taken command, mission, search and destroy the works of the devil. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. But who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Jesus is God with human skin on. Jesus is God with human skin on. Colossians says, for in him... The whole fullness of the deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. Jesus is the exact representation of God because he is God. Jesus is the exact representation of God. In Jesus dwells the fullness of God himself. This is important, folks. This is extremely important because in the modern, modern, secular, postmodern generation that we live in, very few people believe this. 68% of Americans believe that Jesus is God. But do they believe that Jesus is the God? Lots of people say that they believe in Jesus, but when you really start to press what they believe about him, they don't really believe that he is God all by himself. The secular skeptic today rejects him not only as deity, but many would even deny that he ever existed. The Muslims today believe that he might be a prophet or some kind of teacher. The Jews today would say, the modern Jews today would say he was a good moral teacher, a rabbi, or even an ill child of Mary, and reject his claim of Messiahship. Modern Christians might even say today that he was a good man. And he had his, and he taught this moral, loving kind of way of living. The golden rule, the golden rule, which is the chief aim of being his follower, loving your neighbor, as himself. But all throughout history, there have been people who have sought for the truth. What we know about these wise men is that they were men who were seeking after truth. We look at this concept of truth when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate before he was going to be crucified. Pontius Pilate asked him, "What is truth?" What is truth? Ernest Hemingway, a famous American author, wrote a book called uh, The Old Man and the Sea. It was one of my favorite books that I read in high school. He said there's one thing that is true, that they're all true. General Koff, Secretary General, former Secretary General of the United Nations, General Kofi Annan, when he received the Nobel Peace Prize, he said this the idea that there is one people in possession of the truth, one answer to the world's ill or solution to humanity's needs has done untold, has done untold harm throughout history. That's what most people believe about truth. That's what most people believe about Jesus. He's a way. But I want you to let Jesus speak for himself today. I want you to hear what Jesus had to say about himself. In John chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the deal, guys. Jesus doesn't make another way. There are not many paths or many spokes to God. There is only one way to Jesus. There's only one way to a relationship with God, and that is through the person and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. These, come on, amen, give them... Give God a hand. See, Jesus is fully God. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the Word. He's not a God, He's not sometimes partially a God. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord Thomas when he had this revelation of Jesus after he rose from the dead He said my Lord master owner ruler my God There is no greater revelation that a man or woman can have that Jesus is God There's no greater revelation that you can have in your life because the moment you have that revelation What you immediately realize is that someone loves you unconditionally? Someone has the power to forgive your vilest sins. The moment you have that revelation of God, you realize that now you are not all alone by yourself trying to make life happen. But now you have a God who embraces you, who loves you as his very own. Someone said amen. Jesus was not only fully God, but he was fully man. It's so important and so important. It's easy for me to wrap my mind around him being God. It's far more complicated for me to my my mind to wrap around that he was fully man, but he was fully both today. Listen, people, our culture today, we we don't like to talk a lot about what the Bible calls would be to study the apostles doctrine. But you can never build your life on a healthy foundation if you don't really know what you believe about Jesus. Because the first time a wind comes, the first time somebody wants to argue with you at work or at school about Jesus and all these other faiths, and you don't really know what you believe, you'll find yourself at a loss for words. And you won't be able to give an adequate defense for your faith. And you'll feel inadequate. And God doesn't want you to be inadequate today. God wants you to be adequate. God wants you to know who he is. God's given us this revelation that not only was he fully God, but he was fully man. He was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin, and the reason that he was born as a man is so that he could identify with our weaknesses. The writer Hebrews says, For we not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. See, he was a God who could identify with you and with me. He was a God. Not like that one girl said, song, where is God? He's not one of us. No, no, no. God was one of us. And God dwelt among us. God dwelt among us. And every person that encountered Jesus, every person that encountered Jesus left change one way or the other. Jesus was born of a virgin. The angel declares she will conceive and give birth to a son, which means Emmanuel, God with You know what that tells me today? That God is able to make the impossible possible. Come on, it's impossible. You know that it is impossible for a young woman today to get pregnant without having some kinds of sexual relation with a person of the opposite sex. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible to them that believe. Jesus lived a sinless life. He lived a sinless life. It's perfect in every way. You know why? Because there had to be a sacrifice. Do you remember when Adam and Eve in the garden they ate uh, whatever the forbidden fruit was, whatever that was? The Bible says that God took an animal, he took some kind of animal, and He killed it and He covered them. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Pastor Glenn led us powerfully in communion this morning as a reminder what Jesus did. <laughs> see, he was sinless. The only one who could pay the price for your sin. The only one who could make it possible for you to have a relationship with God is a man who lived perfect his whole life. And there was only one. His name is Jesus. Oh, people had all kinds of perspectives. You know, we look at the haters. I mean, there was a guy who hated Jesus. When you read this story, you see a man by the name of Herod is there are always going to be God-haters. There's always going to be God-haters. I mean, Herod. That, scholars tell us, Josephus tells us about this man that it would be better to be a pig in his courts than one of his sons. He was a murderer. He killed his own wife because he felt threatened by her power. He had his own sons killed. He was a conniving man, a manipulative man. And these wise men... Somehow knew, they somehow knew they were these, they were these guys, these philosophers. They, they were these, they were these scholars. Many believe that these magi came from a man by the name of Balaam, hundreds and hundreds of years before, who was one of Israel's prophets who ended up in Persia. You know what they knew? They knew the Bible. They studied the scriptures. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, the Bible says, was one of these wise men, one of these magi under the king of Babylon and Persia and Babylon. And Daniel had wrote words about this coming Messiah. These men knew that the Messiah was going to come. The Savior was going to come. The haters always feel threatened because when Jesus shows up on the scene, he challenges your life. You see, if there is no God, you can live any way that you want to live. The philosophy of our generation, the the, the concept of personal freedom and autonomy was summed up by a man by the name of William Ernest Hensley. And this is what he says. It matters not how straight the gate. Who said a straight gate? Jesus. How charged with punishments the scroll. I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. That's the philosophy of this generation live any way that I want to live. There's no consequences. It doesn't matter what God's book says. It doesn't matter that God says that there is a way that seems right, but that what right leads to death. Our generation, well, I I have personal autonomy. I have personal freedom. I live in the United States of America, right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And we thank God for that. But not without God, you don't. You will breathe your last breath. I will breathe my last breath. There will be a day of accountability. And if we can shrug off the reality that there really is a God, if we can shrug off this reality, God-haters, they exist. But then, you know, I find most people aren't really God-haters. Most people are just indifferent. Most people would give mental assent to it. When, When Herod called a meeting, he wanted to find out where this king would be born. He called the leading priests and teachers of the religious law the men who knew the Bible. Oh, they had the right answer. <laughs> A lot of people have the right answers today. Uh, they, they're they kind of like this, you know, I'd go to church on Sunday and that's good and check it off my box, but when I go to work, you know, you don't understand, I, I work with some very difficult people and if I don't use that kind of language, you're just not going to get what I'm trying to say. I mean, a lot of, well, you know, when it comes, I mean, come on, man, you know, the government, and they spend money on bombs and abortions, and they do all these terrible things, and I, it's just, why should I have to pay taxes? I mean, people have all kinds of excuses for all kinds of things that they want to do in their life, That God says, no, God says, no, no, no. They're indifferent to the claims of Christ. They're indifferent to the reality of heaven and hell. They, they live like there is no eternity. Jesus said this, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. You're like the Old Testament people. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I want you to hear this today. We're not moralizing Jesus. Jesus doesn't make you just be a better person. (laughs) Jesus changes your life. He changes your life from the inside out. Come on, he's not just a good moral teacher to make us good moral people so we can clean up on a Sunday morning and smile real big and welcome home. We're glad you're here. (laughs) No, 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 no. Jesus has come to change your life because he has a mission for you. The mission of Jesus is to change your life so that you can be part of your generation of changing other people's lives. Someone said amen. But there are others who worship him. As their king. These wise men, you know why they were wise? You know why they were wise? Because they knew the scriptures. But not only did they know the scriptures, they believed the scriptures. They were willing to travel 1,000 miles. Not with three kings, but with 300 people in a caravan. And when they got to Jerusalem, I mean when they got to Bethlehem, when they got to Bethlehem, they wanted to find this Christ. So that they could worship him. Do you know that you were created for worship? The highest priority and aim and goal of your life is to be a worshiper of Jesus. In spirit and truth. These, I mean, they, they, when as they, soon as they got to Bethlehem. In verse number 11, it says, when they found Jesus. They fell down. And they begin to worship him. They begin to worship him. They begin to worship him. The wait was over. The anticipation. Hundreds of years of biblical prophecy were being fulfilled. The years and years and years of them studying the scriptures and looking at the stars. Waiting for this moment. The wait was over. Because the real thing is always better than the wait. Come on, the real thing. Encountering Jesus is always better than the anticipation. Yesterday we had... Our young people had a conference called One Day 14. And one of the sessions, actually it was the first session of the morning, they had a a cross that we use here at different occasions for different events. And this young man preached the message of the cross yesterday. I've heard this message. I've heard other people. I've preached the same message. But I want you to know the message of the cross never gets old. The message of the cross never gets old. I was sitting in the back. I was actually sitting on the floor. I couldn't even see him. I couldn't even. I was sitting. I was sitting with Keith and Liana and their little babies, and and God just touched my heart. He gave the altar call, and man, people were flooding. Young people were flooding. They were they were at the cross and they were calling out to God. And I found myself and I made my way to the cross because that's what I know. The real thing is always better than the wait. That moment I encountered Jesus again. I encountered Jesus again. You know, when you encounter Jesus, you, it, your life is changed. Look you know what the last verse says. There, verse 11. It says, "And then they brought him gifts of gold, frankincense. That's how you know your life has really changed. You know how your life has really changed when." It's just a fact. I mean, it's the most awesome thing when you encounter the presence of Jesus. You want to give your life away. I want you to stand with me this morning. Come on, worship team. I don't know what song you're going to do, but we're going to sing some kind of worship song here. I want you to lift your hand towards heaven right now. Come on, these men, they fell at their knees. They fell on their feet and they worshiped Jesus. I want us, come on, I want you to lift your hands towards heaven. He alone is worthy of your worship. He is God all by himself. These wise men, they encountered Jesus and their life was never the same. They met the real person who was in a a cradle, but would one day go to the cross for the sins of the world. And because of that today, you and I could stand in this room and we could declare that our God reigns. He didn't just die on a cross, but he rose from the dead, and he defeated Satan. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the power of the evil one over your life. Come on right now, in the presence of Jesus, with your hands lifted high, when you encounter him in worship today, no devil can stand. No problem that seems to be plaguing your mind can stand. It must go. Jesus is here today to touch your life to touch your heart. Come on, let's worship Him this morning.